Are you not entertained? Get busy living, or get busy dying. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Welcome to this week's edition of Taboo Talk with Jay Lauder. I am super excited about today's discussion. Number one, because the individual that we have on the show, um, just a phenomenal guy that I'm, I'm looking forward to introducing you to him. But what we're going to talk about is, does the Bible contradict itself? In my years of travel, I've met numerous people who have really struggled with this. And in some cases, it's developed into a real crisis of faith. There was a season in my life, I remember exactly what city that I was in, and uh, it just seemed that some scriptures didn't seem to add up, and I began to doubt the validity of the Bible. I would say I overcame that, but um, we wanted to talk about it. And so when we were looking at what we were going to discuss this month, and we came up with this as a topic, knowing that it is an issue for some people, there was no hesitation whatsoever about who we were going to have do this podcast. Um He's a close friend of mine. Matter of fact, I believe it was 10 years or longer that uh, he traveled with me literally all over the world, nationally and internationally. And, and I'll also say about him, in my early days of ministry, uh, I always wished that I had a mentor, somebody that I could reach out to to answer questions that I had about my, my faith, about Scripture, and uh, I, I did have a mentor, but he was a pastor of a mega church. And so I couldn't just call him every day of the week to ask him the numerous Bible questions that I had. Well, unbeknownst to me that eventually uh, a dear friend who at one time was a board member would actually become a part of the team and travel with me worldwide. Not only is he a great friend, but I can honestly say this. I don't know anybody who knows the scripture better than he does. I don't know anybody that has a better prayer life than he does. I know people that know Greek and Hebrew better than he does, but nobody that knows scripture better than him. So he's really been a huge influence on my life. He's a very, very close and dear friend of mine. Uh, some of my best days in the history of my ministry were spent with him. Let me introduce you to my dear and good friend, Eugene, our former crusade coordinator. Eugene, thanks for joining us today. Well, Jay, it is an awesome privilege to be able to be with you and to represent Jay Louder Harvest Ministries. Thank you for the opportunity. My prayer is that those that are listening will uh, sincerely uh, consider this subject and be able to overcome any hesitance they have about uh, the veracity of the Bible and the Scriptures. Well, I was so excited when you walked in today. Sometimes, you know, we have to do these uh, via telephone. And, uh, man, I just... Just seeing you, uh, honestly, uh, was exciting to me. Just seeing some of them. We had so many great experiences on the road, so many good times together. Uh, they're memories that I, I hold very dear. And obviously, you know how much I love and respect you. And I, I, I truly do believe that, I mean, I know a lot of people just from years of travel. I know a lot of preachers. But hands down, I mean, the second that we came up with this topic, there was no doubt in my mind that you were the guy. So, what would you say, Eugene, to people? There are going to be folks listening to this podcast that are going to, maybe they're in a crisis of faith themselves, really struggling with, man, can I trust the Bible? Is it inerrant? Is it authentic? Is it real? Is it just some book made up by a bunch of people? So what would you say to that? Well, I think that's a, a very good place to start. And uh, the uh, 
kind of the title is does the Bible contradict itself? So I want to look at that word contradiction. Uh, most people that say that the Bible has contradictions really don't understand the meaning of the word contradiction. Explain that to us. Well, the definition of contradiction is to assert the contrary or opposite of, to deny directly and categorically. And, and so there are a lot of different variations in, in the Bible as they are in our everyday lives. Uh, variations are very different than contradictions. Variations are not bad. In fact, we learn a lot from variations. One way that variations happen is uh, when there are multiple observers. Uh, each observer may have a different viewpoint because of the p- position from which they view an event. So would this be something like you and I are both standing on the street corner in front of my office building, and we both see a wreck, and you give an account, and I give an account. We're both being completely honest, but you see certain things that I don't, and I see certain things that you don't. Is that what you're saying, or is it something totally different? It's exactly what it is. Uh, One good example is the instant replay of any professional sports game, and people will immediately know what I mean. Every camera may see the event differently from all the others. Uh, The event is one uh, thing. But the way people view it, the, the view from the different cameras are totally different. And if you only get a view from one camera, you may think that the guy scored, uh, made a score. But if you take a look at the other camera, man, part of his foot was out of bounds. Man, you know, honestly, I'm sitting here. Of course, obviously, our, our listeners can't say I have a huge smile on my face because, to me, that's revolutionary. Uh, obviously, I'm a sports guy, love basketball, but – Matter of fact, I just finished watching the Stanley Cup, and I watched the final of the NBA Finals, and that very thing happened where there were several instances where did he get the shot off before the shot clock, or and 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 you couldn't tell from one. That, that's a great metaphor, great analogy, great illustration. Yes, and so that's what uh, uh, a contradiction is something that's the opposite of, but a variation is just a view from a different angle, and uh, so the contradiction is really don't even understand the culture of the people during the Bible times. And so they project contradictory assumptions into the text. Text, Like, for instance, uh, in Psalms it says that uh, the sun races across the sky. Well, today, in today's culture and science, we know that the earth revolves around the sun, not the, the sun around the earth. Uh, so many fe- people, fail, they fail to account for cultural uh, differences across two or three thousand years so as part of that is what you're saying uh, you know you mentioned that uh, i think you said rises obviously we know the sun doesn't rise so right. it's is that just a vernacular issue where like obviously if you told me i watched the sun rise this morning i wouldn't say eugene you're a liar the sun didn't rise i wouldn't say that because i would understand the context of what you're saying is you're saying that this morning when you got up you saw the sun is, is that what you're saying yes i'm i'm saying that our uh scientific view of the universe is different than they had two, 3,000 years ago because they did not understand that the earth revolved around the sun. And so the Bible does not contradict itself. It's just the view of the uh, culture at that time. Wow, man, that's I've never thought of it in that context, but obviously context is everything. I yes. mean, con- conversations or anything else for that matter. So, man, that's, that's, uh, that's good stuff. Another thing that contradictions do is they don't, uh, they, most of them have an ag- agenda and they say there must be many contradictions in the Bible so they see them even though they don't exist. It's a thing called confirmation bias. 
It's a phenomenon known to occur even among some of the brightest scientists. It happens when people get focused on trying to prove a point. They get so focused on trying to prove the point, they want to make that they get blinded by opposing evidence that's right in front of them. And so confirmation bias usually gets uncovered by peer review. But most Bible contradictionists and uh, list of Bible contradictions posted on the Internet don't usually go through any kind of peer review process. Okay. All right. Is there a specific passage in Scripture that you're referring to, or is it just you're just referring to multiples? Uh, well, one specific one that most uh, contradictionists uh, kind of hang their hat on is James uh, chapter 2. Uh, it's the uh, principle of faith and works. And James twenty. Uh, James 2.25 says, A man is justified by works and not by faith only. And uh, But in, uh, uh, in Romans uh, chapter 3, Paul says that we're saved by faith alone without works. Okay. So see, that seems like a contradiction, but it's not. What, what it is is two sides of the same coin. If you do all the right things, you go to church, you pray, you give to the poor, you celebrate, all the holidays, but you don't have true faith in Christ, your works are just uh, part of the flesh. And the Bible says our works in God's eyes are just like filthy rags. But true faith is made manifest by the works that you do. And one of the truest evidences of a changed uh, life and faith is uh, uh, epitified by a scripture that's one of you and I's favorite scriptures, and that's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 where it says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away, and all things have become new. So James says, I will show you my faith because of the works that I produce. And and uh, Paul is saying, you can have all the works, but if you don't have saving faith, they don't mean anything. Okay. All right. Well, and I would imagine that probably, I, I think about last week, I was in Colorado on family vacation, and we went with uh, my best friend and his wife and kids, and so every time that we're in Colorado, we always do a group Bible study. And um, so we happened to, we gave three choices, and the vote was on the Gadarian demoniac. And so I picked the passage out of Mark because Mark has an elongated version. Uh, it's not a contradictory version, but two of the other Gospels that tell the story of the demoniac are not as detailed. And so I, I guess that, I may be getting ahead of things, but I'm assuming that that part of maybe understanding is not only reading something in context, but I'm assuming that there's a comparison with other scriptures while taking into consideration the analogy that we already gave of, of, of the car wreck. I know for me personally, Eugene, and I don't want to go into detail on it because I don't want to instill doubt in anybody, but I had some real struggles in regards to the resurrection, not as far as whether or not Christ rose from the grave. I believe that as much as I do sitting across this table from you. But I had some real struggles in as in regards to the sequence of events, and it was a real issue for me. Right, and I understand that. One thing that has really helped me is uh, it's called the Chronological Bible. And what it does is it takes the scriptures from all four of the Gospels and it lists them in a chronological event, uh, a sequence. And so you can see uh, the events as they happen chronologically. If you just pick up the Bible and you read, and it says, well, Mary ran to the tomb by herself, 
and then you read somewhere else that well, there were two other women with her. But if you get the chronological Bible, you can uh, you can see. And so what that does is it gives you a bigger picture. Yeah. And that's what some contradictions just don't do is they take a scripture or a couple of scriptures and they say these don't uh, sync. These don't say the same thing. But they haven't taken a, a, a panoramic view of the whole Bible. Well, and the truth of it is you can make a lot of theologies if you took just one scripture and did not be inclusive. I was on a phone call literally yesterday afternoon when I got home. And it's a younger guy that, that I kind of help mentor. And so I was giving him an illustration where, okay, we all know John 3.16. And it says that, obviously, we know this. God loved the world. That he gave his own, whoever believes. Well, if you just take that one scripture and you go, okay, well, all i got to do is believe. Well, uh, you believe in Abraham Lincoln. You believe in Michael Jordan. Well, then... Let's say I call him the next day and say, hey, but you also, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.8 that you're saved by faith. Well, then he turns around and says, well, wait a minute, Jay. Yesterday you told me that the only way I had to be saved was by believing. And now today you're telling me that another scripture says, not that I'm saved just by belief, but I'm also saved by faith. So which is it? Well, it's not a contradiction. It's taking everything in context and and pulling the whole package. I always love that illustration of the, the elephant, you know, the blind guy. One guy touched the tail. One guy touched the tusk. Yeah. And one guy says, well, an elephant's something that's long and, and it's very rigid and hard. And another guy's, no, no, no. I, an elephant is, is something that's hairy. Well, right. neither one are telling a lie, but they have a, 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 a limited viewpoint. And I think that's what you're saying. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because... I love that illustration too. Four blind men and they all touch an elephant. One touches his side and says, Well, an elephant's like a wall. Another, his leg says, He's like a tree trunk. Another touches his nose and says, Well, no, it's long, uh, like a rope. And like a, so, exactly. But uh, <clears throat> the Bible is, uh, we believe, you and I believe that the Bible is truth without mixture of error. And I'll address that a little later. But it is, it does get, must take a more uh, studied view. And it must take an open mind. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. And and I, I think, again, just the simple illustration that I gave. Well, they're both true. Right. You are saved by believing. Yes. But part of believing is faith. They go hand in hand. Kind of that old, again, illustration of right. the airplane. That it's two wings of the same airplane. Mm-hmm. But you can't just you, you choose one. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, we believe in God by faith because we don't see him. <clears throat> we believe that... Uh, you know, we can ride these elevators up and down uh, in your building because we've done it. We've experienced it. So belief has more with experience, whereas faith has uh, has more to do with um, believing in something you don't see, you haven't seen. Yeah, and obviously that's the whole premise. Of you can't even begin a relationship with Christ without faith. That's right. Everything's centered around that. That's right. Okay, that's uh, that's great. That's good stuff. Well, you know, I, th- I think a lot of people really do struggle with this thing of they they want to trust the Bible, and but there are people. I mean, we had a guy, a good friend of mine, who's uh, we did a podcast with, who's an atheist, and his belief is is it's just a bunch of people who just wrote a book. And I find it ironic. Some friends of mine just got back from Israel less than a week ago, and quite frankly, I, it's already escaped my mind. But a new archaeological discovery has been made. And some people say, well, you know, those of you that are believers, well, you don't trust science. But the truth of it is, is consistently over and over and over, there are new 
discoveries that are made that are validating some of the questions that people have had for years. Absolutely, absolutely. In 1955, when the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls were found, uh, they compared those documents uh, with the documents that were uh, used to write the 1611 King James Version. Mm -hmm. The Dead Sea Scrolls were older documents, more reliable documents. And when they compared them, the only difference they found was one iota in the book of Isaiah, which is like a comma. And so, you know, uh, those, uh, the Bible that we have is reliable and it can be trusted. Uh, one of the uh, things that has really, uh, has really encouraged me about this is that there's many, you mentioned an atheist on the uh, podcast, many former atheists uh, have studied and uh, been converted through looking at the Bible. One of them is Lee Strobel. He's very famous, very well known. Before he gave his heart to Jesus, he was a hard-nosed legal editor of the Chicago Tribune and a very ardent atheist. When his wife shared the news one day that she had become a follower of Christ, Strobel thought that this might very well lead to the end of their marriage. (laughs) But over the next few weeks and months, instead of seeing a change for the worst, he began to see many wonderful changes in her behavior. And as a result, one day he decided to visit his wife's church, and for the first time he heard the gospel message in a fresh and relevant way. And for the first time, this highly rational investigative reporter understood the uh, implications of the gospel. If Christianity and the Bible were true, then he would be doomed as an atheist. So he began investigating the claims of Christ and the Bible. And uh, He cross-examined a dozen experts with doctorates from schools like Cambridge and Princeton uh, who are recognized authorities in their field. And what happened is Strobel challenged them with questions like, how reliable is the New Testament? Does evidence for Jesus exist outside the Bible? Is there any reason to believe the resurrection was an actual event? And prompted by these dozen interviews and the results of his investigation, he became a Christian at the age of 29 and now he's one of the greatest apologists that the Christian community has. Absolutely. And I would assume most of you understand what we mean when we say apologist. It, it's someone who is a defender of the Scripture. And he is phenomenal. I've read some of his stuff. Uh, absolutely incredible. And, you know, I've told people over the years, Eugene, uh, people have said, I struggle. I don't know whether the Bible's true. Oftentimes I ask them, have you really studied it? And not, not always, but more often than not, they've never really studied it. And there's even a scripture, I, I, I don't have it memorized, but there's somewhere, but it kind of backs up this whole thing that if you will seek God, if you will do the research, and I truly believe this, if you are a person listening to this podcast and you don't believe scripture, I believe if you'll spend enough time in it, God will use scripture to prove to you that it is valid, that it is inerrant. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, when I uh, find someone who uh, is maybe an unbeliever or hasn't uh, uh, has some questions, I, I ask them just to uh, the first thing that I do, I said, just listen, will you do this? Will you just read through the Gospel of John? Just read it. You're right. Because they have it. And, uh, man, many of them have come to Christ. No doubt about that. Heard that many, many, many times. Another one is uh, Josh McDowell, who was a ardent a- uh, agnostic. He thought Christianity was useless. Uh, but what he did, he sought out to prove that Christianity was wrong, and he found out through his studies that there's more reliable evidence 
for the testimony and the witness of the Gospels than there are for all the major works of Shakespeare. Unbelievable. And he wrote two books. One's called More Than a Carpenter, and the other one is Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and they're phenomenal books. If memory serves me correct, I'm almost positive this is correct. I'm, I'm pulling this from a memory bank. But every year there's a show that comes on television, usually on network television, called Ben Hur. And if I remember correctly, the guy who uh, wrote that script and produced that movie was also an atheist and began to do research. Have you heard that? No, I haven't heard that. That's interesting. Well, I, I that love made, that movie, though. Oh, phenomenal. But, but I believe that's the same thing. This was a guy who didn't believe in Scripture and in the process of studying it was transformed by it, became a believer, exactly. and produced what is considered one of the greatest movies of all time. Absolutely. One thing I, I think that... Uh, people that have a, a challenge with the Bible need to consider is uh, the probability of what the Bible says becoming true. Mm-hmm. And uh, in other words, uh, the prophecies of Christ, what were the probabilities of those coming true? If it was just by accident or is it something that's uh, divinely oriented? Peter Stoner was a Christian writer and chairman of the departments of mathematics at Pasadena City College. And what he did is he calculated the probability of just eight messianic prophecies being fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And here's the eight, eight uh, prophecies, and I'm going to give you the probability of these coming to pass, and uh, you'll be astounded. Okay. Uh, first one is Micah 5.2. The scriptures say the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. The second one is Malachi 3.1. A messenger will prepare the way for the Lord. Uh Third, the Messiah will enter Jerusalem as a king riding on a donkey. That's Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Uh, number four, the Messiah will be betrayed by a friend and suffer wounds in his hands. Zechariah thirteen six. Number five, the Messiah will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah eleven twelve. 12. Uh, number six, the betrayer of money will be used to purchase a potter's field. Zechariah eleven thirteen. Number seven, the Messiah will remain silent while he is afflicted. Isaiah 53, 7. And uh, number eight, the Messiah will die by having his hands and feet pierced, Psalms 22.6. So multiplying all these probabilities together produces a number rounded off to 1 to 10 to the 28th power. Which translates to what? Well, if you divide this number by the estimate of the number of people who've lived since the time of these prophecies, they figure there's about 88 billion people that lived. It produces a probability of all eight prophecies being fulfilled accidentally in the life of one person. That probability is 1 to 10 to the 17th power. That's 100 quadrillion. Yeah, that's... I, I mean, you, if you that. believe that, that it's an accident, you have to have more faith in that <laughs> than you do that Jesus actually uh, fulfilled those prophecies. That's, a, that's an iconic statement. And, and it's true. I mean... If you can believe, and I understand that not everybody listening to this podcast uh, can reference the eight um, examples that you gave. Um, as someone who spent my life studying the Word, all eight of those prophecies have been fulfilled. Uh, you can do research on them. Uh, the potter's field, the hands through the, uh, the spikes through the hands, the whole, every one of them. But Eugene makes a great point. I mean, if you can believe, I, I'd like to know how many zeros that is. I don't know. but it's, 17. Okay, that's 17 zeros. One quad, one hundred quadrillion. Wow, 
<laughs> it's not even in the realm of possible. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, one uh, thing that really excites me is uh, we know that our, uh, uh, our nation was founded by people who believed in the Lord. But here's some statements by the founding fathers. John Adams, second president, said, The Bible contains the most profound philosophy, the most perfect morality, and the most refined policy that ever was conceived upon the earth. His son, John Quincy Adams, said, The Bible is of all, of all books in the world that which contributes most to make men good and wise and happy. John Jay, the first chief justice of the United States, said, Let us therefore persevere steadfastly in distributing the scriptures far and near, and without note or comment, we are assured that they are profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And Thomas Jefferson said this, The doctrines of Jesus are simply are simple, and they tend all to the happiness of man. Had the doctrines of Jesus been preached always as pure as they came from his lips, the whole civilized world would now have been Christian. Man, Eugene, you know, this sounds exactly like the politicians of our day. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's amazing to me that someone that can say theirself that they're Christian and then do just the opposite of what a Christian is. Absolutely, regardless of whether or not they wear a Republican or Democrat label. That's exactly right. We're not talking about parties. We're talking about people. Absolutely. And so... Uh, I'm really excited uh, uh, about uh, this. Some of the major Christians of our time have had, just like you, just like myself, when I was uh, in college, uh, at a Bible college, in fact, was my first introduction to uh, hesitancy about believing the Bible was true. It was that time when... Uh, now, wait a minute. I, want, I hate to interrupt you, but are you saying that the first encounter you had of seeds being planted of doubt in regards to the validity of Scripture, was in Bible college? It's a Christian college. That's you would exactly. think that's the last place yeah, you that would. those seeds of doubt would be inserted. Well, I was raised up in, in a conservative Christian home. I went to Sunday school, went to revivals, went to church camp, and my parents believed the Bible. But when I got into college, there's a thing called a higher criticism, and it came from Germany, and it proposed that... The principles of the Bible were true, the ideas of the Bible, but that they, the words that were given were not necessarily the words given by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave them ideas, and then they put it in their own words. Like now, a paraphrase? Um, uh, like, a, like a truth that they explained in their own way. Yeah. Okay, all right. We believe, and we'll discuss this a little bit later, uh, differently than that, and uh, but one of the greatest Christians of our time struggled with this, Jay. Who was that? Billy Graham, my hero. My son's named after. That's exactly Billy right. I I think he was the uh, premier Christian of the 20th century. No doubt. Uh, certainly the works that uh, God produced through him. But he was such a humble man, and I'll never forget when you and I sat in uh, I don't know Burger King or Wendy's or somewhere uh, with his grandson. Yes, he said that. Uh, we asked him, what made your grandfather great? And uh, Will Graham said, he's the most humble person I've ever met. Wow. I, I still get emotional thinking yeah, about that. Yeah. But uh, Billy Graham had a friend named Charles Templeton, and uh, they were uh, evangelists, both of them. And actually, Templeton was a little ahead of Billy Graham. They preached with the youth, the youth for Christ. 
And uh, Templeton went on to study at Princeton where he began to believe that the Bible was flawed and that academia, education, not Jesus, was the answer to the problems. He tried to convince Billy that Billy's way of thinking was outdated and the Bible couldn't be trusted. And it caused Billy to have some questions. And so uh, a young man in his 30s, all these things were swirling in his mind when he traveled to California in 1949. Did he even believe the Bible which he was preaching or should he follow Templeton in questioning its validity? And There's so, a crisis point. Yes, yes. And there, I think there may be many of us listening today uh, that do uh, say, yes, I believe the Bible. But if you really believe that the Bible is the true word of God, then you have the obligation to trust it completely. Great point, great point. Because, you know, we could say, man, I, uh, I believe in this, I believe in that. You, you know, I'll never forget the story of, that we heard about uh, the fellow that uh, stretched a, a rope across Niagara Falls. Right. And uh, walked across it. And then he uh, walked across it with a 100-pound uh, sack of flour on his back. And then he says, who believes that I can do this? And they all cheered, and that boy, they said yes. And he says, how many of you believe that I could take a human being on my back across it? And they said, yes, we believe. I think his name was Blonde. And he said, okay, who will be the first one to help let me carry him across? Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> but they see, that's what people do about the Bible. They believe in Bible. They believe God. They believe in something good but they haven't yet trusted it. But what we want to do today in this is we want to alleviate and we want to help you to be willing to to read the Bible and trust the Bible. So Billy Graham was at a crisis situation, and he was at the, uh, a center retreat center called Forest Home. Uh, Henrietta Mears, who was the director of Christian education at First Presbyterian Church of Hollywood, had invited him. And... Uh, he spent a great deal of time studying the Bible at Forest Home, but he, and he kept seeing the same phrase uh, pop up, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. And while he had accepted in his head the authority of the Scriptures, this became the turning point as he realized in his heart that he needed to trust God's Word as divinely inspired. So one night uh, he walked out into the woods, he set his Bible on a stump. You've heard the story. You've probably even told the story, Jay. And he... Uh, He said, oh, God, there are many things in this book I do not understand. There are many problems with it for which I have no solution. There are many seeming contradictions. There are some areas in it that do not seem to correlate with modern science. I can't answer some of the philosophical and psychological questions Chuck Templeton and others are raising. And then Billy Graham fell to his knees, and the Holy Spirit moved in him as he said, Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. And when he got up, uh, he was changed. He wrote in his autobiography that he stood up with tears in his eyes, and he felt the power and presence of God like he hadn't had in months. And the next day, he spoke at Forced Home, and 400 people made a commitment to Christ. Man, I love this story, and I, I think it's so apropos for today's podcast. It really was the rocket ship. It was the trampoline for his ministry. When he got to that place where he said, and it reminds me of a scripture, I think it's Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. but if I'm incorrect, it is in, I know it's in chapter 29, but it says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, 
but the things which are revealed belong unto us and our children forever. There's another scripture in 1 Corinthians 13 that says, we see through a glass darkly. Yes. But one day we'll see face to face. Yes. But Billy getting to that place of saying, I, I don't understand everything. I can't even reconcile everything. Right. But as you said earlier, it all begins and ends with faith. And he says, by faith, I'm going to trust this. And because of that decision to have, if you want to call it blind faith, you can call it what you want. But coming to that conclusion that I'm going to trust God's word, recognizing that there's a lot we're not going to understand. You can't explain calculus to a, a first grader. And obviously there are limitations. We can't know and every, understand everything about God at this time. Matter of fact, we never will. Uh, but because of his willingness to accept it by faith, right. as you already stated, he's probably since Paul, the greatest Christian that's ever lived. Right. And uh, <clears throat> I think that the, uh, the greatest evidence of the Bible being true as the Word of God is not necessarily all the comparisons of this Scripture against that Scripture. To me, it's the evidence of changed lives. No doubt. And a well, great example of that is you, Jay. And just for the record... Jay said that he felt like I knew the Bible a little bit, but I'll tell you that when Jay got saved, he fell in love with the Word of God, and Jay has memorized more scriptures and could quote them and give their reference to anybody I know. Well, I appreciate that, and, and I do love the Bible, and I never did until I met Christ. But I want to be honest today to our listeners and say that there have been times in my life where I've struggled with this. There's even been times in my life where the enemy has come against me, and I thought, man, is God really real? Now, those haven't <laughs> lingered for long periods right. of time. Of course. Will I really go to a place called heaven when I right. die? Now, some people would say, oh, well, Jay would never doubt those things. I've heard him preach, or I've seen people come to Christ under his preaching, but but I don't think it's an anomaly or unusual. I think a lot of us have had those seasons. Sure. And there's a lot of things I don't understand, which is why your whole life since I've known you, I barraged you with questions, which, and I don't want to dovetail too far on this, Eugene, but a lot of people say, you know, man, it's really difficult for me to accept the Bible. And the reason why it is, is because while the, they say, if the scripture is true, there are so many different interpretations of it. And it leaves me confused. What would you say to those people? Um, well, I guess uh, America has probably come up with more translations of the Bible than any nation on the face of the earth. However, we believe that the original manuscripts, which no longer exist, but the copies that we have are so reliable uh, that, like I said, from 1955 we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were older than the manuscripts that were used in 1611. And uh, so what I I believe is – after after study is that the the Bible that we now have is reliable. Now there are paraphrases, but what I like to do is I like to get two or three different translations, not paraphrases, but translations. King James Version, the uh, New International Version, the New King James Version, the New American Standard. But oh my. Uh, U version application. There's like 26 different translations. I like to look at them, and uh, uh, but the the King James and the New American Standard. These are word for word translations. But what men have done is they've taken the King James English and they substituted modern phrases in it. 
I don't think it's changed the meaning on some of it. Some of it it has, and we have to watch that. But it hasn't uh, changed the meaning of the original manuscripts. And I believe that those the original manuscripts are inspired, inerrant, and infallible. And the copies that we have are entirely trustworthy. I agree with that. And I also recognize that different words can be used to explain the same thing. You and I walk out on a cold December day, and uh, you might say, um, it's cold. I might say it's freezing. Well, we're using two different words, but you and I both understand that we're that we're saying the same thing. But I do agree that there has been a lot of different interpretations from even you and I. I mean, for the most part, in my years of knowing you, we agree on just about everything. The few things that we don't agree on aren't serious things, and it's right. never created a rift between us. But there are interpret. Do you believe, Eugene, that there is really one app? There is one interpretation, but many applications. Do you believe that? Of course. Yeah, I do too. Like, for instance, uh, Revelation chapter 3, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, uh, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Well, for years, I used that as an invitation for someone who was looking for Christ, who was seeking Christ. And it worked. Open your heart. Jesus is knocking on your heart's door. Open your heart and let him in. But the actual context of that verse Believers. is to the church. Right. He's standing outside the church's <laughs> door. <laughs> so absolutely, absolutely. And really the greatest, uh, uh, one of the greatest examples to me, one of the greatest clinchers for me is my own personal testimony. Uh, I was four years old and my dad was 30 when he got saved. And uh, my dad uh, I had an incurable disease called Bright's disease. At that time it was incurable. And uh, an event, we lived in a, on a uh, sharecropper's home out in the middle of a pasture down one dirt road around Collinsville, Texas. And uh, uh, in April of uh, 1960, evangelist and a pastor came and visited my dad, and they asked him to come to church. And he said, I don't have anything to do with it. There's nothing but hypocrites up there. Because he had seen hypocrisy in the church as a youth in his te- hometown, Whitesboro, Texas. But uh, before the pastor left, he said this, Olin, if you don't uh, care anything about your own soul, what about these four children? Mm. And that kind of bothered Dad. And so uh, Mom wanted to go to church the next week, but the evangelist was preaching. Dad said, no, I don't want to go to the preacher's preaching. And so two weeks from then, it was Mother's Day, 1960, all six of us wound up at Memorial Baptist Church in Collinsville, Texas. Wow. And uh, that day completely changed my life and my whole family's life. (laughs) Because uh, the preacher preached the gospel. Dad went forward and was saved. And uh, from that day forward, we started praying in the home. We started reading the Bible. We went to church three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revivals, everything. And a year later, the Lord called dad to preach and dad was walking up and down that old dirt road and he was wrestling with this because at the age of 17, he had quit high school because his high school English teacher was going to make him stand before the high school, his senior English class and re- and recite the poem old man river. And he's so shy. He quit and joined the air force. Wow. <laughs> so he's walking up and down that road and he said, okay, God, he finally came to the point. He says, okay, God, if you will heal me, 
I will preach as long as I can, as long as I live. And my dad is healed. The Lord healed him. It was verified by a doctor. And my dad's 92 right now in uh, assisted living, but he preached until he was 85 years old, from 31 to 85. And it completely changed uh, the history of my home and my family. Yeah, it's it's just amazing. And we have seen this time and time and time again. And maybe you're listening to the podcast today and you go, I want to believe the Bible, but can I? I? I think Eugene makes a very valid point that one of the greatest proofs is changed lives. You know, he told obviously just told the story about his dad. Couldn't even recite a little poem. And now here he's preached for years and years and years. And Eugene, you and I have seen this. Um, all over the world. Yes. Uh, people that, uh, I mean, lives radically, completely, totally changed. And you and I were both testimony. You mentioned about me memorizing scripture. I mean, I got saved at 21 years of age, and I didn't say, well, gosh, I got to start reading the Bible and I got to memorize scripture. I became hungry for it. Yes. And uh, my whole life was turned inside out. It doesn't mean that we claim to be better than anybody or more perfect than anybody. It just simply means that our life was totally turned upside down. And how can you explain, as you just said, millions? We're not talking about you and I are on an island here. There are millions of people who literally have morphed into something completely different than they ever were or would have been had they not had an encounter with Christ. And and, and it's just hard to discredit. Yes. and I, I know that the enemy seeks to place doubt in, in people's head. I, I recognize that. And quite frankly, I don't get hung up on translations. I initially read the King James Version. The first probably five, 600 verses I memorized were in uh, King James. Right. I eventually uh, moved on to New King James because I felt like it was a more modern-day English. Yes. But um, we have staff members here at our office that read the NIV, New American Standard. Yeah. I'll just say read the Bible. And, and I'm a firm believer. If you're a person who's listening to this today and you say, Jay, I just don't know. I want to revert back to something that we talked about earlier. I truly believe that if you would approach God's word from an open mind, yes, that God would show himself to you. And even Jesus said this. Eugene, you know the Sermon on the Mount better than anybody I know. And what did Jesus say in Matthew 7, 7? Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Yes. Knock and the door will be opened. Amen. So... Uh, and, and there's script Jeremiah 29, 13. And you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. There's a verse in Isaiah 55, 6. Um, oh, I can't recall it now in my memory. Seek you the Lord while he may be found. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> there you're bragging on my scripture memory, and I've just lost one out of my memory bank. But yeah, seek him while he may be found. Now is the day. Yes. Now is the time. And um, there's no guarantee, we've talked about this, of tomorrow. There's no passage in Scripture that talks about a salvation for tomorrow, next week, next month, once you get married, once you retire. Today is the day. Right. And you can trust the fact, if for no other reason than the multitudes have changed lives. You might say, well, Jay, I know people that claim to be a believer, and they're the worst hypocrite I know. Well, (laughs) you can put a label on any empty bottle. It doesn't mean that they're a true believer. That's right. And uh, so I, I would encourage those of you listening, man, uh, ask God. Say, God, show yourself to me. Amen. And uh, I, I truly believe if you'll approach it with an open mind that uh, God will show himself to you, and the first thing he's going to show you is his son, his life, his death, his resurrection. And I love Eugene's idea. Uh, start in the book of John. 
I normally recommend Mark, but either one of them's great. And it's the Gospels. And if you're unfamiliar, well, it's the New Testament, and uh, you can get right on over there. And it's really a study of the life of Christ. Man, Eugene, honestly, uh, I, I kid you not, uh, this is one of my all-time favorite podcasts, not just because I respect you and love you, not just because you're, you're talking about what you're living. Mm -hmm. Uh, modern day vernacular you are smoking what you're selling (laughs) and uh, man i love that about you uh you know i have great respect for you uh man i tell you i will never forget the times we've had together on the road i hope i really hope that we'll get to share more in the future eugene is is matter of fact uh he's still even though he's no longer a staff member here at j ladder harvest ministries eugene uh pastors the church here in texas and uh Man, God has used him significantly, not only in the lives of many people, but my life. Uh, I, I don't know, Eugene, if you remember many of those days when we would spend hours on the road, and I would ask you question after question. Matter of fact, some of the sermons that you have heard me preach, those of you that do can stand listening to me, a lot of those sermons, uh, first thing I did was call Eugene and say, man, what do you think about this? What's your viewpoint on that? What's your understanding of this scripture? I mean, he truly, honestly, there's no exaggeration here. Eugene has played a huge, huge role in my life. I honestly don't know what I brought to his life, but he's brought a lot to me. Man, I'm, I appreciate you being on the podcast today. I really do. Thanks, brother. It's been an honor. Man, man, I honestly, I hope to have you back on again soon. And uh, we'll, we'll catch you next time on Taboo Talk with Jay Lauder. Well, 